As we begin the new year, leading up to Vision Sunday, I spent some time praying about um, what to preach at a couple Sundays. And I want you to know that I went through like four different sermon series ideas, you know. So uh, my holidays were ruined as a result. I wanted just a mental break. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I'm like, what do I talk to them about? What do I talk to them about? And finally, what I decided to do is I, I essentially... Um, thought about all the emails, all the letters, all the stuff that I get throughout the year that are sort of pastoral care needs in nature. And if I had to boil down to what, what a lot of those requests are in terms of, you know, what do I do? What do I do? A lot of those boil, can be boiled down to this. How do I deal with massive interruptions in my life? A- anybody, anybody relate? How do I deal with interruptions in my life? How do I deal with the non-negotiable, inevitable interruptions that come into my life? Now, I know a lot of us, we like to think we're in control. We like to manage our lives. We like to sort of have a plan, have a schedule. We like to make sure that things are exactly where they need to be. And, you know, we, we sort of take our lives, uh, take the reins of our lives, and we just kind of, you know, we, we go. And then all of a sudden, the interruptions come. Uh, there's many, and I'll, I'll go share some examples later. But like, for example, for me, um, I'm in Washington, D.C. this summer, having a great old time, you know, uh, was at this conference, Esperanza conference, talking about immigration issues with a bunch of Hispanic leaders in the country. Two and a half great days, but I was ready to come home. I wanted to come home. As I'm about to come home, though, I know some of y'all were here. Apparently, I'm hearing where there's a major storm coming through Chicago. Like the entire airport is going to be shut down kind of system, right? So I'm checking the weather. I'm making sure, God, I, I, I want to go home. I've been away from home for like three days. I, I'm tired. I want to go home. And, and I call American Airlines. I only fly American. I fly American Airlines. I say, are you guys flying? Yes, we're flying. I'm checking on the internet on time. You know, I don't see the, I don't see the canceled. I don't see delayed on time. So I get to the airport on time, of course. And everything, I'm told, look, flight's still on. And of course, what happens, right? Like, 50 minutes before it's supposed to take off. Get the word. Flight canceled. See, I'm one of those people. I don't give up easily. I'm going, I don't care if the flight is canceled. I'm going to make this thing happen. Right? So, I, I, so a bunch of people are waiting at the gate. You know, there's like a line of 50 people. But I'm smart, see? So what do I do? I go to American Airlines counter, right? I'm at the American Airlines counter. There's like two people there. I finally get up. The lady has this look on her face like there's nothing that can be done. And I'm going, I want to go home. She says, you can't go home. I want to go home. I am, your pastor, 40 years old, having a meltdown like a child at this airport, America. I want to go home. I don't care what you need to do. I want to go home. Get me another flight. I know there's flight. She's looking at me like, you're crazy. I want to go home. She says, you can't go home. So finally, of course, I give up. And she tells me there's a flight happening throughout tomorrow. You can get up here at 5 o'clock at in the morning, and get on a standby. And I'm going, I don't want to do that. When's the next little flight that I could seat for? She says, it's at 4 p.m., and you're going to go through St. Louis and then go to Chicago. So you'll be home around 9 p.m. Is there anything else that can be done? No, sir. Take the dumb voucher ticket or whatever. I'm heading out, hanging out at this coffee shop, just debating, calling Jenny, I can't go home today. 
looking up hotels because I don't want to stay at the airport, cheap airport, uh, hotels nearby. Get on the shuttle. I'm at the airport. Shuttle. I'm going to head to the hotel. And, and, and I'm, just, I'm just feeling absolutely miserable. I'm just feeling miserable. Not mainly because I wanted to go home. That was part of it too. But I'm feeling miserable because I had this whole thing planned out, scheduled, and bam, all of a sudden, interruption. Interruptions will sometimes come because of decisions that we make. Hello, anybody? Interruptions sometimes come because of decisions that other people make. Sometimes interruptions will come actually in the form of circumstances that are unforeseen. And yes, sometimes God will just, in his perfect wisdom, intervene, smack dab in the middle of our perfectly laid out plans and just wreak havoc. Here's some interruptions that people in our church are going through. Uh, you with joy look forward to having your first child. All of a sudden, you find out one night, then you go to the hospital. You go to the hospital, and you realize you have miscarriage. Here's another interruption somebody's going through. Uh, you show up to work. They give you a pink slip and saying, um, your job is being terminated in two weeks. Some of the students here needing prayer because their parents are hit hard by the economic downturn. And they get a call saying, we can't pay for your tuition. You need to drop out of school. Girlfriend or boyfriend says, we're done. Explanation, please. There are no explanation. We're done. We've had loved ones, family members in our church pass away. Moms, dads, brothers and sisters. Interruptions. Recently, a young man in our church drunk supervisor was careless with machines and he got fingers chopped off his hand. Major interruptions come. Whether we like it or not. Inevitable, non-negotiable part of life. Here's a question for you. Whenever interruptions come, we ask two primary questions. What are they? Nicole, say it louder. Why? Anybody? Interruptions come. Why? Why? Sometimes it's why me. Another question we ask is Some of us, how long is this going to last? Two primary questions we find ourselves asking is, why me and how long is it going to last? How long is it going to last? How long do I need to deal with this? And how soon can this get done and over with so that I can move on with my life? And if it's a lingering interruption, for a lot of us, the question that lingers in the hearts is, why God? Why me? Why this interruption? As if, you know, we're like the only ones that ever go through that interruption. Two primary wrong questions, and I'll talk about what the right questions are, hopefully a little bit later. But we, we ask the wrong questions, I think, and also we ask the wrong responses. Here are the kind of responses to interruptions in our lives. Some of us, we just get mad at God, and we just blame God. Anybody done that? Anybody been there? We accuse God of being unloving, unfair, unjust. Where are you, God? We just get mad at God. And just angry. And there's another response. Some of us, there's a, I'm not going to take this lying down response. Anybody? Any strong-willed nature people here? Some of us, I'm not going to take this lying down, God. I'm going to do something about it. If you're not going to make my plans happen, I'm going to do it myself. So I'm going to take this thing by the horns, and I'm going to go with it. Example, you're in a relationship, and relationship just ends all of a sudden. So what do you do? Forget about what God might be up to, what God is doing in your life. You say, oh, no. I'm going to make sure that I'm not alone and I'm not single. So here I go. Here's another response that I've often seen. 
you decide that you're just going to throw away your character and your conviction. See, when interruptions come, you are far more temptable than you are at other times. When life interruptions come, we have this response where we go, God, because I have been wronged, I'm going to do wrong. It's kind of like our way of giving God the finger and saying, screw you. Let me just speak to some of you this morning. If you are sitting there going through a life interruption and you are doing that, you're saying, God, I don't care what happens. A lot of us go through that, and you know what happens? We come back with all kinds of scars and all kinds of painful memories that linger for a long time. If you are at a stage of saying, screw you, I have been wrong, I am going to do wrong, child of God, I am telling you right now, don't go there. And then for some of us, there's an f- escape route. Anybody? Life interruption, we just escape, you know? We don't physically go. We just put the blanket over our heads and we go, I'm not going to get out of bed. Or some of us, it's a form of escape. And so we're physically there, but we mentally escape. That's where porn addictions, that's where hobbies, that's where, guys, hours and hours of video games. Shopping. We just escape. Um, If Jonah teaches us anything, you can't escape life interruptions. Because you come right back to where you started. You got an amen to that? It's a lesson that we learn, man. Life interruptions. You know, as I thought about why we respond the way we do, um, I, I realized that a lot of us don't get this critical nature, something about the Christian life that's, that's so, like, obvious in Scripture, but we miss it. And this is, Christian life by nature, <clears throat> hello, is uh, disruptive. I have some of your attention now. Okay, good, good. You're awake now. Christian life by nature, hello, is Disruptive. Disruptive. C.S. Lewis' analogy, remember? When we become a Christian, it's like we have our little cottage and we want God to kind of come paint a little here, paint a little there, you know, and do a little. And what do we see? We see a bulldozer coming and leveling the whole thing. Why? Because he's trying to build you a castle, a castle fit for a king. But the way we do it is we go, I don't like that. But when you read the Gospels, Christian life is disruptive. Hello, Jesus Christ, Peter, James, John. Yeah, we're fishing. Yeah, I know. You're done. When? Like now. Now? Now. Drop your vets. You've been fishing fish. I'm going to make you fish as a man. Come. Right now? Right now. I got to go tell my dad. Let the dead bury their dead. Come. Disruptive. Matthew, tax collector. Hello? Matthew? Yes? You're done collecting taxes. Me? Really? Right here? Yeah, you're done. Come follow me. Like now? Now. I can't tell my... No, no, no. Just come. Disruptive. Where do we get this notion that the Christian life is this, you know, I invite, you know, here's the myth. The myth is that when we become a Christian, our life gets better. Deal with it. And wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know if that all right was like, okay, hold on. So I got to explain. And then you say amen or not. Let me, let me, when we say, 
When we say the Christian life got better, here's what we mean. It's antithetical to I think what Scripture says. We think that my life will go on as scheduled, and Jesus sort of helps me manage it. We think, Jesus, here's my life. I need you to come help me manage it. And Jesus says, I don't want to come into your life. I want you to come into my life. You know, Jesus, I, you know, I want a relationship with you. I want to be forgiven. I want to be redeemed. I want all the blessings of relationship with you. But check this out. I want to run my life. I have my schedule, my plans. And it's, you know, my career. I want to do that, be that, be with that person. And I'm kind of going along. I need you to kind of come and manage it. And Jesus comes along and says, I don't play second fiddle to your life. I don't orbit around your life as if I'm some cosmic genie that exists to help you. You orbit around my life. Disruptive. Disruptive. If you're a Christian and you haven't felt disruption in your life of being Christian, I don't know if you're living it. Christian life is disruptive. Some of you are going, well, hello, then maybe I don't want to be a Christian. I want to retain control of my life. I want this thing to run like a... Really? Do you really want to control your life? Do you really want to manage it the way you've been managing it? Do you really want to shoulder the responsibility of saying, this is my life, my way? Let's get real here. Or do you want a life with Jesus that is so compelling that you're going, okay. I want life, life, life to the full. And I know that following you is going to be unexpected every turn. It's going to be disruptive. It's going to be an adventure. It's going to be wild. But you are so compelling that when you say, you ready to go? I'm ready to go. What is 2010 looking like for you? Are you expecting disruption the way of Christian and following Christ? Or is your approach to 2010, Peter, I got my plans. got my schedule. Got my day planner, and I just need Jesus to come and bless it. Ninety <laughs> percent of you all in here, and I include myself, that's our approach today. And it is going to wreck your world when all of a sudden 2010 comes along, comes along, and other comes along and says, "Hello, it's not about your life." You say, how can I trust him? Because of the cross. How can I trust him? Because of what he did for me. Because of what he bled for me. Because of what he gave for me. That's how I know I can trust him with my life. And trusting God means that even in the midst of interruptions in our lives, unexpected, unwanted, God is in it. And there's nothing that can stop God from fulfilling his purposes for your life. American Airlines can't stop it. Flight delays can't stop it. Agents can't stop it. Nothing can stop God from doing what he wants to do in your life. No interruptions is big enough for God to do what he wants to accomplish in your life. And embracing that will change your perspective. Embracing that will change the way we start to approach situations.
Embracing that will change our demeanor. Embracing that will change how we view interruptions in our lives. And those of you that are going through a major interruption right now and you feel ill-prepared for it, I want you to know God is in the middle of it. Say, so how do you know? Look at the interruptions in Scripture. I love it. It's filled. Abraham. Remember Abraham? Minding his own business in the city of Ur. Abraham! Who is this? It's God. God? Yes? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave everything that you have. I want you to go to a land that's foreign to you. It feel uncomfortable for you. And I want you to go because I have a plan to bless the nation through you. Was God in the midst of that? Joseph. We'll look at him next couple of weeks. Joseph, man. God interrupts his life at 17. And he goes through, can I say this? The mother of all interruptions. Can I say that? Is that okay? You think your interruption is bad. His lasted 40 years, man. But was God in the midst of that? David, I'm going to know you the next king of Israel. And a lunatic king chases his behind for years. He's wandering in the desert. Was God in the midst of that? Mary, 13 years old, minding my own business, going about her business. God comes along and says, Mary, yes, you're going to get pregnant. Pregnant, yes. By the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I'm just trying to envision what that was like for her. And yes, people are going to accuse you of being loose and immoral and your fiancé is going to misunderstand. But was God in the midst of that? Yes. During these life interruptions, the Bible is unflinching that God is in the midst of it. We want to know why, and we want to know when this is going to end, but I want you to, to ask a different question. Because instead of asking those questions, what if, what if we ask this question? God, what? What are you doing through this? What are you doing in me during this? God, what is it that you're desiring to do? And when we begin to ask a different question, here's what I think will happen. Number one, we'll come to realize, and this is kind of painting a broad picture for next week, we'll realize that, that, that through these times of interruption, through these times of uncomfortable disruptions that happen in our lives, that God does the most profound, the deepest, and the most life-transforming work in us, in us, that he otherwise could not do. And the whole hum, day-to-day, nine-to-five, God, life is planned. Life is going as usual times. And furthermore, and this is the greatest news about this, not only are these times the times for God to do something in us, but these are times when God does something, check this out, through us. For kingdom advancement that he otherwise could not do. I know for some of us, we get so self-consumed and self-absorbed during life interruptions that we cannot help but ask, God, how long is this going to last? And why is this happening to us and me? God says, if you would only ask a different set of questions, maybe, maybe what you'll come to see is that not only am I doing the most profound kinds of thing in you that I otherwise could not do in other times, and I'm doing some amazing kingdom advancement kinds of things through you. That would lead to saving of many lives as we see in Scripture. Let me take you to the back end of this story. The back end of this story that we're going to look at. And like I said, we'll look at the story of Joseph. I'm going to do sort of a survey of his life. But here's what the end of this story says. Genesis chapter 50 verse 19 says, But Joseph said to them, and we'll get to this next week, his brothers 
Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. We say this, you guys, a lot in our church, and I'm going to continue to hammer away at this, and that is this. The Bible absolutely affirms this thing, that whatever happens in and around us, whatever happens in and around us, God is always somehow accomplishing three things at all times. Genesis to Revelation, we see this. Number one, God is accomplishing glory to himself. Somehow through things that happen, somehow God says, there's going to be greater glory that's brought to me. Secondly, somehow through all things, it's resulting in good for us. It is resulting in, 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 in transformation of depths of our soul, good to us. And third, it is resulting in saving of many lives or redemption and salvation of all of creation. Glory to God. When we get news of things like Haiti, you have a choice. You could just either just go, God, I blame you. Is this unjust? I don't understand. It's unfair, so on and so forth. Or you could go the Pat Robertson and other of brothers and sisters route and try to give rational reason for why God does. Or you and I could anchor ourselves and saying, I'm going to humble myself and say, I don't know. I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. Somehow through this. Somehow, God, through this, it's going to result in greater glory for you. It's going to result in, in, in deep, life-transforming good for people. And third, it's going to result in salvation of many. A way the scripture says this, another way, is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans chapter verse 28. You guys all know this passage, but what I want to do is actually kind of want to unpack this a little bit because there's so much confusion about what God is really saying here. Romans 8, 28. Can we all read this together? Ready? Here we go. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And here's what I want to sort of unpack. It's kind of a, a foundational thing for this week and next week. If you really know what this passage is saying, and this is kind of a summation of everything I think that we see in Scripture, the promise, Romans 8.28, first of all, the promise, Romans 8.28, should lead us to gratitude and joy for even the routine good things in life. Okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Josh, can you put up the next slide, please? The promise, Romans 8, 28, should lead us to gratitude and joy for even the routine good things in life. What do I mean? Listen carefully to what that verse says. It doesn't say that things work together for good by themselves. Did you catch that? For in all things, God works for the good. The scripture is absolutely clear that only God makes the factors in our life turn out for good. Why is this important to me? Because of this reason. Why speaks to me? Some of us, like me, sometimes live with a sense of entitlement. As if life owes me something. And I forget that life doesn't owe me anything. As a matter of fact, my life is owed to God. Furthermore, as a Christian, we don't approach life from a sense of entitlement. Here's the other thing we don't do. We don't approach life with kind of naivety that says, oh, everything's just going to work out well. Because we recognize that we live in a fallen world that's affected by sin, redeemed by God, and redeeming, God is redeeming it. But it's affected by sin, it's fallen. There's evil, there's sin, there's injustice. And so here's the thing. We don't approach life and say, I just expect things to work out. 
When tragedy, suffering, and hard times come, we don't get surprised and shocked. God is in it. And yet it's a fallen world. And so when things happen for our good, you realize it's all God, all grace, all the time. When's the last time you looked at it in the past year and you said the things that, you know, you just assumed would, well, of course they would work out that way. Of course I would have that. When's the last time you stopped in your tracks and said, things don't just work out for good by themselves? The world that we live in? Everything that is turning out for good, the small things, is because God works it for my good. And the thought of that should result in joy, praise, and adoration. Amen? Oh, man. This is how far we've been affected by a sense of entitlement. We should look at even the little things that happen in our lives that turn out for good and stop in our tracks and go, God, it's all you, all grace, all the time. For God works for good. Secondly, promise Romans 8, 28, you know what it should do? Remove a general fear and anxiety. Scripture is very clear. God is working in all things. And that means that even what we would call little things or even senseless things, God is somehow able to make good come out of it. Immediately, somebody's always asking, but what about evil and suffering, Peter? What about evil and suffering? I heard a quote from Jim Wallace that was so helpful in light of Haiti. He said this. He said, our God is not a God of retribution. Our God is not a God of vengeance. What about evil and suffering? The Bible is absolutely clear. God is not the author of evil. Never. God is never ever the cause of evil. And the evil doers will be responsible to account for the evil deeds. But listen, somehow God says the evil, the suffering, the hard, senseless things, God says, it's not just left to random chance, but I am somehow in the process of churning it for his glory, for our good, and for the saving of many lives. Here's a Proverbs that I absolutely need to go back to again and again. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. You know what this is saying? Flip of a coin. Random chance. By the way, guys, don't get any ideas about like coin flips and Super Bowl and who God is on side of, so on and so forth. Our team's going to win because God... I just, I don't, I don't, in 1985, when the Bears were pr- playing Super Bowl, do you remember that? 1985, the last time I actually rooted for the Bears. I, I was a sophomore in high school, and I was up to pray on a Sunday morning for the, like, the prayer. I got up there. This is my prayer. God, I know that you're with the Chicago Bears. <laughs> I kid you not. If there's a recording, I, I know you're with the Chicago Bears, and I know that you're on their side. So will you please help them win? In Jesus' name, amen. That was my prayer. Anyway. Proverbs says, flip of a coin, we're going left to chance. God says, not even a flip of a coin is left to random chance. (laughs) Walking out there going, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. The random event. There are no random accidental events in the plan of God. Is that encouraging to anybody? 
through not such things as random accidental things that come crashing into our lives. And we're going, God, were you awake? Were you asleep? Were you paying attention? God says, I am still sovereign. Hello. No flip of a coin misses God's attention. God says, anything that happens in your life, I am all over it and working it for your good. Third promise, Romans 8, 28, is that it helps us see God's purpose even in difficulties. Because if God is working for our good in everything, then we see that even the bad things as well as the good things are furthering the good in our life. Let me put up a quote here by John Newton. This needs to be your prayer this year. Everything is necessary that he sends. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Just park on that for a moment, will you? Just park on that for a moment. The promise of Romans 8.28 is this. God, I know for a fact that you want me to have this. I know for a fact that this is important in my life. And if God withholds that in his wisdom, he says, you don't. And if there's some things that come into our lives that think, God, how can you love me through this? Why is this happening to me? God says, he is necessary for the advancement to cause something to happen in your life. Everything is necessary that he sends. Nothing is necessary that he withholds. You know, my translation, Romans 8, 28 is, God will give you everything you would have asked for if you knew everything God knew. Lastly, promise Romans 8.28 is gives us confidence that we cannot really ever ruin God's purpose for us. How many of you are encouraged by that? How many are encouraged by the fact that I mean, I'm encouraged by the fact that my stupidity, my sinful bent, and my rebellion can never ruin God's plan for my life. How many are encouraged by the fact that there's nothing? When God says, for God works in all, he means all. And that even includes our rebellion and our sin. That even in our rebellion, even in our sin, God is powerful enough that he takes that to further his glory, our good, and salvation of men and women. Tragedies of your past can make you think that you have no right to a future. And God comes along and says, your future is firmly in my hands. You've jacked up your plans, but you know what? I don't have a plan B for your life. Your plan is going exactly as I planned it. I know, wrapping your brains around that is like, whoa. Great news, life interruptions. God is bigger and more sovereign than circumstances. God is bigger and more sovereign than people. God is bigger and more sovereign than anything that comes over our lives. Nothing can stop God from establishing and accomplishing his purposes for our lives. Some of y'all need to hear this. Divorce can't ever stop God from accomplishing his purpose for your life. Your boss telling you, you have no place in this workplace, cannot stop God from accomplishing his purpose in your life. Some girl or boy telling you, I don't want to be with you anymore, cannot stop God from accomplishing his purposes for your life. The jacked up mess that you've made of your life for the last six months to a year cannot stop God from accomplishing his purposes for your life. 
Nothing can stop God from accomplishing his purposes for your life. Nothing. Nothing can stop God. He's that kind of a God, you know. He's that kind of a God. I don't know why I'm screaming. (laughs) Is this good news? I got to get used to you guys. I haven't seen you guys like in four weeks, and I'm going, man. Let's paint some broad strokes for next week, okay? Most on you. Broad strokes, here we go. Instead of asking why and how long, how about if we ask these sets of questions? Number one, God, what do you want to do in me in the middle of this interruption? God, Everybody, will you say this with me? Ready? Let's read it together. God, what do you want to do in me in the middle of this interruption? Say that again. God, what do you want to do in me in the middle of this interruption? I'm so mad right now, God. I'm so frustrated. I could just go off on this flight agent. I just go off. I am going off on her. God, what do you want to do in me? Maybe God comes along and says, let's start right there. Let's start with your anger issue. Let's start with the fact that you have unresolved anger in your life. Let's start here. Let's start with the fact that you hate it when life doesn't go like you wanted it to go. And let's start here by the fact that you give lip service to, you know, oh, Lord, you're in control. Yeah, right. Let's start with the fact that, no, you're in control, and you think you know where you're going, but now you don't don't know where you're going. Let's start there. Let's start with the fact that you think you've surrendered control of your life, but you haven't. And God may say, let's keep going. Let's keep going. It's dangerous when you ask this question. Let's keep going. What do you want to do with me? Let's keep going. Why are you so angry? Why are you so mad? Why is the intensity of it? Is it because there is something in your life that you think you must have? There's a foundation of your soul that's been taken away. And you can't live without it. God, what do you want to do in me? Well, let's look at the fact that you just cannot bear to not be in control of your life. And whatever is causing that, you have such tight reins on it that you're leaving no room for God to move and to act. God, what do you want to do in me? So here's a principle that's been really helpful for me on why this is such an important, important question to ask. It's because nobody has ever learned, ever, ever learned their flaws by just being told The only way you learn about your flaws is by being shown. My mom's been telling me my flaws for 40 years. I don't ever learn from it. You know how I learn? Life beats the crap out of me. And the bottom line thing comes, rises to the top, and I go, oh, well, look at that. There it is. And all the things that my mom loves me, cares for me, tells me, things that she knows is going to wreak havoc in my life and my character if not dealt with, doesn't matter how many times somebody says, life has to show you. And maybe when you go, God, what are you doing in me? God gives you clarity to go, life is showing you the things that are absolutely going to wreak havoc in your life if you don't deal with it. Another way to say this is this. Nobody's ever learned that God loved them by being told. You have to be shown. You know why that's important? The majority of you guys here don't believe that God loves you unconditionally. Yes, I do. No, you don't. 
Yes, I, no, you don't. I tell you every Sunday and you don't believe it. You know why? Because if you really believed it, your life would look radically different. If you really love that God loves you unconditionally, if you really want to learn that God loves you, you have to be shown. You know how that happens? Here's how it happens for me. I get into a place where I curse God. I give God the finger. I say, God, screw you. I get real mad and upset at God. And I go, you've abandoned me. You don't love me, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, light dawns and God reveals his faithfulness. Anybody been there? And you know what? That happens to happen. That has to happen over and over and over and over over. Ah! Oh, he loves me over and over and over. Not once or twice. Over. You've abandoned me. Oh, you've never forsaken me over and over and over and over and over and over. We have to be shown. God, what are you doing in me? Question to ask. What are you doing in me? Here's another huge thing, though. The interruptions of life are not just about you. As we ask more questions, you've got to realize it's bigger than that, so much grander than that. Because God not only sees opportunities of life interruptions to do something to do in us, but he also sees an opportunity to do something through us. Something through us. When you're going through these interruptions, you can rest assured that it's not just about you. That God is somehow not doing something in you, but God is designed to do something through you in such a way that will result in salvation of men and women and redemption of all creation. Again, look at the Bible. God doesn't move Abraham from where he wants to be to where he needed to be in order just to bless him. He had other people in mind. Joseph, as we'll see, what God does in taking through his 40-year life transition wasn't just about him. If it wasn't for the life transition, he dies, his family dies, the nation of Israel is lost, and the messianic line comes to an end. It wasn't just about him. Mary, you think that was just about her? It's never just about us. So here are the questions that we ask as we're going through life interruptions. God, what do you want me to, or who do you want me to meet? Who do you want me to meet in the middle of this interruption? Ever thought about that? God, who do you want me to connect with? Who do you want me to connect with meet that I am never, ever probably going to connect with unless this interruption happens in my life? So now instead of on that flight home, I'm sitting at Starbucks. And I sense God saying, you're supposed to go talk to that guy. You're supposed to go meet that guy. Maybe some of us ladies in here are like, hmm, I like that interruption. <laughs> God, I welcome that interruption. All of a sudden, new community women are over hanging out at O'Hare Starbucks, you know. Who's going through interruption? I'm like, no, no. Maybe there's somebody you're supposed to meet. And the only way that your path is going to intersect is if your life is interrupted. I think I told you guys. I'll just share it real quick. One of the most profound prayer times I had was when my flight got canceled, coming from L.A. back to Chicago. That's how, some of you remember? It's real quick. Hanging out there, I'm mad as, you know, and just frustrated. Just frustrated. I'm just going off, you know. By the way, it's, I'm glad I don't run into any of you guys at the airport because you're going, you are a terrible human being um, <laughs> at airport. I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there hanging out at this airport. Some of you heard this story. I'm sitting here at the airport, and I just, I'm like, God, major interruption. I hate this. Don't bother me. So in order to do that, I put my book bag right here and my suitcase right here. 
There's like four chairs, right? And I'm going, clear sign, everybody. Don't bother me. I've got headphones on. <laughs> cool like this, you know. And all of a sudden, in the corner of my eye, I see this lady. Like, with big suitcases, you know. Koreans, we call it imin kabang. It's those immigration bags. You know what I'm talking about? They're like this high. They're like this big. They look like they're carrying people. You know what I mean? Like that big, right? And, they're, and she's wheeling through this to the airport in LAX, right? And she's looking around. Where to sit? Where to sit? You know? And I notice at the corner of my eye. You think I'm exaggerating. I'm not even exaggerating. Look at the corner of my eye, right? And as if to communicate to her, don't sit next to me. I defiantly put my hands on the bags and went... I'm sitting there. I'm not going to go long. I, I need to finish this. So, so I'm sitting there, and this woman comes, and she's looking around. There's plenty of other seats, God. There's plenty of other seats. But she chooses to stand directly in front of me, and she says, anybody sitting here? Yes, my bags for crying out loud. Can't you tell? No, I, wouldn't. I said, no. Would you like to sit? Yes. Put the bag away. She sat down. First thing she does when she sits down is, <sighs> guys i i'm not going to tell you this story because i need to finish the sermon we have communion here's basically what happened she's a woman from well she's a woman from wisconsin who actually ran away from an unhappy marriage 20 some year marriage with some guy from australia who came and swept her off her feet flew to australia on a whim because she thought he was the man of her dreams within a month she realized that she was in australia basically as his maid he was a married man. So a month in Australia, month in Australia, her life being torn apart. And this lady comes from like a town of 500, you know, one of those, you know, totally naive, totally naive. And she's coming back from Australia. Her life just in shattered. And she's on this connection flight to O'Hare and then to Wisconsin. And, 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 and she is sitting next to me, pouring her heart out. God, who do you want me to meet? Is there somebody that you could possibly have in mind that I would never, ever, ever think of meeting if not for this interruption? You ever ask that question? Can you take your eyes off of yourself just for one moment? Who do you want me to meet? Let's go on. I got to finish. Something you want me to do. Third question. God, is there something you want me to do in the midst of this interruption? God, what would you like me to do? We're all here at the gate. Nobody getting on a plane. So first of all, here's the imagery. When a life interruption happens, you guys, instead of going, no, ah, just give that sucker a big hug. You know, just this big hug. And then after you give a big hug to the interruption, you say, God, what would you like me to do? And God might say, nothing, just sit tight. Or God might say, pay attention. Pay attention. Again, it requires you to take your eyes off of you. Pay attention. And God might have something for you to do. Talk about that more next week. Fourth, and God, how can you be glorified in this interruption? God, how will this cause someone to know who you are? God, how will you use this so that somebody can get a better glimpse of your love, your grace, your mercy, your glory? Saying, God, I might not know everything there is to know, but I do know this, God, that somehow in my limited wisdom, I could acknowledge and confess that you're going to use this for your glory. All things for your glory. How are you going to do that, God? And ask him.
But you have to see God in it. You have to get to that place of whatever it is that you're going through. You have to see God in the midst of it. And by the way, if you have a hard time seeing God in the midst of it, you're in good company. Abraham, he didn't always see it. Joseph, didn't always see it. David, read the Psalms, man. The Psalms is, what the? What? That's the Psalms. That's my interpretation. (laughs) I'm just saying, you're in good company if you don't handle it well. David is full of like, what? What? That's the Psalms. Sometimes it's going to be hard to see God at work in the midst of it. It'll seem as though it's a total opposite sometimes of what you might do if you were in charge. But we're not. God is. Let me just leave you with this one thing. Story of Joseph. Um, You guys could teach me that. Story of Joseph. Jacob, Joseph's father, is the grandson of Abraham. You remember? Grandson of Abraham. And it's through Jacob that the 12 tribes of Israel are birthed. Joseph is one of the 12. And we're going to go and look at more of his story, his life next week. But Joseph is 17 years old, and he's got a bit of an attitude problem. We'll see you next week. Joseph is not this perfect little character that you and I envisioned growing up in the, you know, the, the, the felt character billboard, you know, Bible story. Joseph, be like Joseph. Don't be like Joseph. We'll see you next week. His brothers hate him. They betray him. They beat him up. They Dig a pit, throw him in the pit, sell him to a slave merchant. He goes to Egypt, foreign land, doesn't speak the language, has to learn. He gets betrayed. He's accused of rape when he hasn't committed it. He goes to jail, helps a guy out who gets free from jail, says, remember me. The guy forgets. And the story goes on and on. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. I don't think you guys read that. Did you read that? Because if you guys really read that, your response wouldn't be the Lord was with Joseph. No. You would go, the Lord was what? The Lord was what? With Joseph? Yeah, right. Because God doesn't do that if you're with him. If God is with you, he doesn't have your brothers sell you in slavery when you're 17. If God was with you, you don't get beaten and stripped and put in a pit. If God is with you, you don't go to a foreign land called Egypt. If God is with you, that doesn't happen. If God is with you, here's how this story goes down. If God is with you, his brothers are beating him, stripping him, and they're about to throw him into a pit. And if God is with you, God appears in lightning and thunder. And God says, that is my servant Joseph. Back off. And the 11 brothers are sold into the pit and then sold into slavery. That's how it works if God is with you. But no, Joseph is beaten. Joseph is stripped. Joseph is thrown into a pit. And the Bible has a destiny to say God was what? With Joseph. All of a sudden we're going, that's how it works in my world. God is with you? No, that's not. We go on. Joseph grows up at Potiphar's house. He experiences God's favor, and he's promoted to the place of being second in command. And then he's what? Do you guys remember? He's tempted by the seductress. He's tempted by the wife. The wife comes and says, hey, Joseph. By the Bible says, Joseph was fine. (laughs) My translation, he was good looking, okay? Good looking, 
multicolored coat. You know, you get the picture, right? <laughs> he was very metro before metro was in, okay? Um, and what happens? She says, sleep with me. And Joseph says, how can I do such a thing and sin against God? And guys, women too, but guys, listen, listen, listen. This is why this is so important. Because Joseph is at that place that many of us find, which is, God, I've been screwed. And you're tempted. And our response isn't to be man of integrity and saying, how can I do such a thing? Our response many times is, I'm going to go ahead because I deserve this. I've been wronged. I'm going to do wrong. And Joseph says, uh-uh. But what happens? Potiphar comes in, and again, the Potiphar catches Joseph. And, and, and he believes the wife. And Joseph is, what? Thrown in jail. And again, and we're going, that's not how it works if God is with you. If God is with you, here's how it goes down. He walks in, and when Joseph is saying, get away. How can I do this thing and sin against God? Huh? And the Potiphar looks at the wife and going, what the? And he throws her out of the street. And Joseph is rewarded. That's how it works if God is with you. And yet, Joseph's thrown in prison. The Bible says God was what? With Joseph. Hmm. You think you have God figured out and you're going, God, I know how you would act. And you and I are coming to realize with this whole life interruptions, you cannot measure God's activity by our circumstances alone. Let me say that once more. You cannot measure God's activity by our circumstances alone. You cannot just look at our life circumstances and go, God, I've got you figured out. Matter of fact, let me say it this way. Let me, the, the most like riveting way I can say it to you. Some of y'all think that God is with you because life is going well and yet you're involved in all kinds of things that contrary to God. God is not. And then some of you are going, my life stinks. My life is going nowhere. There are things that happen in my life. There's no way that God could be with me. And yet the Bible says God was what? Andy, come on up. See, this is why this story is so powerful for me. This is why this is so powerful for me. Jim Wallace's quote, can I just throw this out there? The reason why that was so powerful is because, and by the way, as much as I want to slam Pat Robertson, I'm not any better than him. My prayer for Pat Robertson this week was the same prayer that I pray for myself. God, help me to open my eyes more and to shut my mouth more. Jim Wallace said a great, great profound thing. He says, God is not ever God of vengeance, God of wrath, wrathful vengeance. God is not ever a God who seeks retribution. People ask, God, where are you? And this is why it's so profound. Jim Wallace simply said, where is God? We know where he is. He is with the people of Haiti. God is with the people of Haiti. We don't ever have to wonder where God is. God is with people of Haiti. He is walking the streets. He is underneath the rubble. And God is someday going to come and he says, I'm going to fix this whole darn thing. So here's what this looks like and why this is so encouraging to the married couple in here who looks forward to their child and said, we are so looking forward to having our first baby and they have a miscarriage. And what God says, and yet God was, say it with me, and yet God was with them. I showed up to work and without any notice, it's the only job I've ever worked for and I'm giving a pink slip and yet God was, say it with me, God was with. 
I've dated this person for two years. And just like that, they said, we're done. No explanation, God. Where are you? And the Bible says, and God was what? With him. I can't pay for tuition. I can't even be in school. I'm going to have to get four jobs, God. Where? And the Bible says, and God was what? God was with him. Of all the names that God could have chosen when he sent his Messiah into this world to do the work of redemption, God says, here's a name for you, Emmanuel. What does it mean, God? It means that God is with us. Close your eyes and pray with me. That's all somebody in this room just needed to hear today. You didn't need a theological treatise on sovereignty of God and why. All you needed to be reminded from today, when you walked in, you know who you are. All you needed to be reminded, because you asked this question this whole week, God, where are you? And all you need to know, Scripture says, it's my child, my child. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. This morning, we want to be the church. I say this periodically. And for those of you right now in this sanctuary today, it just needed that reminder and need that reminder perhaps for something coming in the future. You just need, God, are you there? God, are you there? And what you need more than anything else is the Holy Spirit confirming in your heart and your soul. I am with you. I want you to stand from where you are because we want to be Christ's hands and feet. And we want to pray for you. And we want to pray with you. And we want you to know you are never alone. Stand up. Throughout the sanctuary, stand up wherever you are and remain standing. Stand up from where you are. Remain standing. Stand up from wherever you are and remain standing. Remain standing. Stand up from wherever you are. Remain standing. I want you to do this. I want you to put your hands out. I want you to put your hands out with your palm facing upward. Just, you don't have to do it high. Just palm face down. Next, what I want you to do, church, is I want you to look around. I want you to open your eyes now. Those of you that are sitting in the pews, look around. And I want you to see your brothers, your sisters who are standing this morning and saying, this interruption is kicking my butt. I need to know. I want you to stand up. I want you to hold one hand. I want the other person to hold the other hand. I want the other people around to put your hand on their shoulders. Stand up and put your hand on their hands and their shoulders. Let them know we are one church. They are not alone. And I want you to pray. 
I want you to just begin to pray. In your heart, softly under your breath, I want you to just begin to pray for that, for that child of God. I want you to begin to pray for that brother, pray for that sister. To know that you know, God is with them. To know that they would be confident, to know that they would be secure, to know that they would be grounded in Him. Just pray over them, pray over them, pray over them. Pray over them, pray over them, pray over them. Hold their hand, hold their hands, pray over them. You are not alone. You are not alone, you are not alone, you are not alone. You are not alone, you are not alone, you are not alone. Our God, Emmanuel, God with us. Our God, Emmanuel, God with us. Our God, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Church. God, Emmanuel. I'm going to invite the communion service to come forward and to prepare yourself at the stations. You can continue to pray, church. Continue to pray. And the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And whenever you take it, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup, the cup of the new covenant. He said, this cup represents my blood shed for you. The new covenant that says, come, not with good works. Come, not with your self-effort. Come in faith that Christ, that Christ has accomplished salvation through his death and his resurrection. And that he did this for you. The cross reminds us where God is. And if you're done praying, whenever you feel ready, come forward. Come forward and partake of the Lord's Supper, Lord's Table, communion. Partake of it. Remembering and recognizing who He is. And as the worship team leads us, respond in worship to our God, to our God. Some of the pastoral staff and the prayer team will be up here, up near the side for anybody that wants prayer. Please come forward and after you take communion, Come join any one of us as we pray for you and minister in this sanctuary.
This is our prayer. This is our prayer. This is our prayer. This is our prayer. That's who He is. That's who He is. That's who He is. God, this isn't our lives that we're dealing with. This is your life. The Bible tells us that we've been bought at a price and our lives are no longer ours. God, will you position us so that the posture of our hearts no longer this year would be, God, will you come manage my life? God, will you come and join me in what I'm doing? May the prayer of our hearts be, God, I want to join you in what you're doing, God. I want to join you in your life, God. I want to join you, God, in your agenda. I want to join you, God, in orbit around you. And man, it's going to be an adventure, unexpected at every turn. But God, who do we have that we would follow? You are God. You are Lord. Church, as you go forward today, those of you that want to linger and pray, I'm going to have the worship team continue to sing and pray and lead us. Those of you that go, go forth with this knowledge that God is with you. He is Emmanuel. And by the power of the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, child of God. Be bold. Be courageous. Be thankful. And in worship, live your life for His glory and His majesty. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. We'll see you back here next week, guys.